I'll be reading from Luke 21, 7 to 23, the Last Supper. Then came the day of unleaned bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine. On the table, the Son of Man will go as it has been disagreed, but woe to, those, to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Excellent. Thank you, Zaria, uh, and great job, Millie, and everyone else for how you led us this morning. Uh, I'm Etienne, and, and I get to talk for this part of our service that we call uh, the message or, or the sermon. And so if you're new to church or joining us on Zoom for the first time, this is sort of for the next 20 minutes, half hour-ish, what will happen. And I hope that you'd find it helpful and useful to uh, grow and your understanding of who God is and what God wants to do in you today and, and beyond. But to begin with, let me first play a little bit of, a, little bit of an interactive game. So I'm going to look for some feedback from you. Uh, and if, if you're on Zoom at home, uh, maybe you can interact with this as well. Uh, some of the answers that I'm going to ask to some questions, just, just pop it in the chat column you know, for, for the other Zoomers to, uh, to see. I've, uh, have you noticed something about uh, cultures all across the world? You know, there's many cultures all across the world. There's even probably quite a number of cultures represented here today, or at least the, your culture of origin that you come from, right? Something really cool about every culture is that often what is most memorable about them 
you could even argue most sacred to them, is a food or a meal or a, or a celebration that, that encapsulates uh, who that culture is as a, as a people or that, that, that makes them memorable or that you tie at least, at the very least, a memory to. So, let me just throw out a few cultures and you just yell out back at me, what is the food that you reckon, uh, you know, sort of holds up that culture, at least in your own mind? Everyone cool with that? All right. Indian. Curry, yes, that was an easy one, right? Um, that's it. That's what we remember Indian food for, and, and, and that's sort of the, the cool thing, although there's much more to Indian, right? Um, British. Fish and chips. Bangers and mash, I'm hearing. Pudding. Pudding, yeah, yeah, yep. Bunning snacks. I haven't said Australian yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, all right. Let's go. Uh, this should. Well, this might be. This might actually cause a bit of conflict. Dutch. All right. Olive oil and croquette. Which is the one? Come on. There can't be all of them. Pick one. What's the one? Pea soup. No, I'm going for mashed potatoes. Okay. <laughs> There's plenty of things, but yes, olive oil and croquettes. Um, We've got, what are the cultures? Philippines. We've got Philippine, Filipino cultures represented. Anyone know what's the... Sorry? Rice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Rice is always big. I was at a Filipino uh, celebration of a first year birthday of a, of a child. Had to have a, a roasted pig on the spit. It was apparently a big deal for, for that family anyway. And, and yeah, it was cool. Um, but yes, rice. Um, all right, let's go... Chinese. <laughs> uh, what else? Yep. Rice probably as well. Yes. Um, deep fried ice cream. Yes. Have they blessed us? Yes. Yes. All right. It's through these meals and the meaningful sharing of these meals together, I put it to you that people in or of these cultures celebrate, communicate, and continue who they are. Okay, say that statement again. It is often through these meals and the meaningful sharing of them together that people in or of these cultures, celebrate, communicate, and continue. I could, these are all C words, I could probably even add the word cement in them. Who they are and what they're about. My question for us this morning is, 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 is let's study humanity here a little bit and go, where, where do we get that from? What is it about humanity that sort of made us go this way? That 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 that, that real intimate thing about who we are as groups is is steeped and cemented and communicated and continued on in, in the, the meaningful sharing of a particular type of food. There could be many answers, and there'd be oceans of ink spilled in studies of anthropology over this, and those are all big words, but I let me put it to you this 
way this morning. From a, from a, from a Christian's point of view, it's this way because this is the way that God has made us. God himself takes humanity after he creates them and he, he puts them in, a, in an incredible place called Eden in the Bible. And, and I'll tell you, one of the, the most marked beauties of this place called Eden is eat any of the fruits of the trees and the food that I have provided you. This, this is the celebration of Eden. This is the great thing. It's not the greatest thing about Eden, and I'm going to be careful all throughout the message. I don't want to elevate food to the place of it is God. Don't get me wrong. But, but, but you'll see the relationship that God has and his people has with, with, with food here in a, in, a, in a very deep and powerful way this morning. God puts these people in this garden and he says, eat. Right? It is, interestingly, in the mishandling of food that humanity sins as well. And then we get to the most memorable, most precious, most important meal that defines God's people. If you know church, if you know Christianity, <clears throat> even only for a little bit, you know that there is one meal more than any other that celebrates, communicates, continues and cements who God's people are. It has a past version of it. It has a present version of it. And there will be a future version of it. And that's what I want to take you through today. Past, present, future of the meal of God's people. Right? You know it as the Lord's Supper. Maybe you know it as communion. That's what we're going to look at. That's the meal. The meal of meals, we could call it. So step with me. I'm going to take you a little bit back in, in biblical history. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church or to faith, sorry if I'm confusing you today. Stay with me as best you can. I'm not going to make it overly complicated. And to really help you in this story, Jess is going to do something for us in a few weeks' time that's really going to help us actually understand the overall Bible story. But today I'm just going to dip a little bit into it as I talk about the meal of meals through which God's people find their identity who they are, and what they're about. Step with me back into a place in the Bible where we're going to look at a meal. This meal was called then the Passover. And here's what we read about it. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 7, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, 
They are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you have to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. The Passover is a meal, right? It's the past version of the meal of all meals. I want to say two things about it. What did it communicate and how did it communicate it? What did it communicate? The, the Bible story is a very long story. Thousands of years ago, God's people are in bondage. They're enslaved by a group of people called the Egyptians. And for a long time, God tells them to let his people go because it is from this group of people called the Israelites from whom he will give us Jesus one day. And we'll get to Jesus in just a minute. And warning upon warning upon warning comes to the Egyptians and to the Egyptian rulers to say, let my people go, let my people go, repent, believe in me, but they refuse. And eventually, God says, okay, enough is enough. Judgment will fall on Egypt but it will not fall on Israel, my people. How does that judgment pass over the Israelites? Blood. It's not because the Israelites are better than the Egyptians. It's because what's wrong with them is covered with the blood of a lamb that they had to slaughter and they had to put over their door frames. That's how Israel avoids judgment. That's what it communicates. That's what it says. It says that if God's judgment is going to pass over anyone, it will be because they are covered, as it were, with blood of a lamb. That's what the Passover meal communicates. How does it say it? Here's the interesting part. God says to his people, Eat the lamb. <laughs> Don't you find that interesting? Why not bury the lamb? Why not, why not have some sort of ritual or a, or a, or a I don't want to say an incantation, but some weird sort of a, a form or ceremony? Um, why, why eat it? I mean, these are slaves, right? They haven't had meat or feast or... In, in decades, God says, do you know what's going to mark my salvation of you? My taking you out of what's keeping you in bondage? Feast. You're going to eat. <laughs> Don't leave any of it. Eat the bread. Share in a meal that will define this moment, God says. Celebrate. Continue. Communicate who you are as God's people every year by celebrating this meal. And fascinatingly, almost 
Every time in the Old Testament after this event, when God saves his people from something, it is to have a meal with them. I don't know how to really pick this up, but it's, but it's there. Uh, if, if you will indulge me just, just for two minutes, you know, at Mount Sinai, this is all biblical history after they leave Egypt. There's a point in there in Exodus where 70 elders, the people say, I don't want to, we don't want to meet with God, he's too scary, and he's meeting and revealing himself on top of this mountain called Mount Sinai. And they say to Moses, you and our leaders, you go up there and we'll stay down here. And they all go up. And here's what it says. Seventy elders went up the mountain where they beheld God and they ate and drank in the presence of God. When they get to the promised land, the promise is that this is a land flowing with milk and honey. You will be satisfied. You will eat. You will feast. Your identity will be as a people who are provided for in my love and generosity and goodness as you eat and as you drink. In the temple, every year there's this number of feasts that God's people are supposed to observe. We read of some of them in Deuteronomy. Let me just read to you a little bit from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 20. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain. New wine and olive oil and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. At the end of every three years, verse 28, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your barns so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. God saves. God saves people. God saves us. God wants to save you. And how does he want you to remember that he saves? <laughs> Gives you a meal. Gives me a meal. That's the past version of this meal. All throughout the entire Bible in the Old Testament, we see it celebrated again and again and again, how this Passover is celebrated to mark the salvation of God's people, his saving of them. And then, of course, yep, we get to the New Testament, the present. Salvation enacted in the Lord's Supper. The old Passover meal is replaced with a new one. Jesus eventually is born and just before he goes to the cross he said what we read this morning. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You know what Jesus is saying? That lamb from the Old Testament, the blood of which meant that God's judgment passed over people, I am that lamb. All of that was temporary. All of that was past, pointing to the present, where I would come as the lamb, who will be sacrificed for the forgiveness of people's sins. That's what the Lord's Supper means. It's what we remember every time we celebrate it, is that Jesus came as the Passover lamb who gave his life so that your sins and my sins 
And every reason that God has not to have us as his children sorry, could be forgiven, could be taken away. And again, about this form of the meal of meals, we can ask, how does it say it? How does Jesus say to you, say to me, that you are saved? Notice that Jesus didn't say, say this in remembrance of me. He said, eat this, drink this in remembrance of me. Tim Chester writes this, he says, the shared activity of partaking of one loaf forms us afresh as one body. It reinforces our identity as a community shaped by the cross. This last week, and I took my, took my son camping. Um, yeah, yesterday with that weather that we had. Um, it was interesting. But I took him camping. And, and I took him to Deloraine and we camped out Friday night and yesterday morning we went for a big hike um, up to Westmoreland Falls. And, um, you know, I sat there and it was really precious staring at this beautiful waterfall in this picturesque God-given country. And, and I combined that with all the memories I made over the last two days, you know, uh, of playing basketball with him and all this precious father-son stuff, but particularly the walk. It's most precious to me. It stood out as the highlight of the whole weekend. And you know what? What he said when we got home, and, and Dana asked him, she asked him, she said, Marty, what was the highlight of this two days with Dad for you? You know what he said? I ate noodles. I had noodles. <laughs> and, you know, we ate noodles at the waterfall, staring in silence. It was the only time he was silent was when he ate the noodles on the whole trip at this stunning waterfall. This is what he remembered. This is what, to him, instilled a certain sense of who we are as father, as son. This is what will continue to live on in his memory forever, as long as he lives. See, it wasn't the waterfall. It wasn't all the other exciting stuff that we had to go through. No, it was the meal. It was the meal. Jesus tells you, he tells me, he tells his entire church, at this point where he sits with his disciples, he says, this is what should remind, instill, cement in you who you are, who I am, what I have done for you again and again and again and again. And the reason he does this is because he knows that it is food that does this, right? At the Passover meal in the Old Testament, in a, in a certain sense, in the beginning, the, the, at, the, at the feast, which was a big deal, you know, 
at some point in the procession, and Shimi, you might really share with us one day more about this because you'd know it better than I do. But at some point in this meal, there is this sense where there's a point where usually a 13-year-old boy would ask the question to the whole family, what makes this night different from any other night? And then the story is told of how God saved his people from bondage in Egypt. Imagine, imagine the Lord's Supper. And maybe this is something we should consider doing as a church. Maybe at least once a year. Where instead of a church service, we, we fill this hall with banquet tables and we sit down with our children. And they ask us, what makes this Sunday different from all other Sundays? What makes this meal different from all other meals that we have, this feast? And we tell them the story. This is what is different. This is how the Lamb gave himself up for us. This is where life is to be found. They will not remember many a sermon. But they'll remember the meal. Always. And that is our call pathway. If, 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 you, if you are a child of God, if you're part of a bunch of children of God, if you celebrate the Lord's Supper as we do in symbolic form, or, or whether you do it in some other way, just bear in mind that this is the meal of meals. This is when we remember, we communicate, we continue, we cement in ourselves whose we are, how we became that, and where all of life comes from for us. Today, you're going to celebrate meals in each other's homes, many of you. Can I encourage you to, on this day, and not only on this day, but really on every other time you eat, if you eat a sandwich for lunch, let it do its job as a reminder of who you are and how you became that. God wants food to minister to us. We have such unhealthy relationships with food. We use it often for control. We use it often to, uh, we, we starve ourselves of it because we want to look good. We take refuge in it because we have nowhere else to turn or we don't have God in our lives, so we overeat. We try and find our identity in food and how we cook things. All these are wrong things. The right thing that your food is supposed to achieve in you is every time you sit down for a meal, you should be reminded of the goodness of God. Firstly, that he feeds you. Secondly, that he saves you. Let our food achieve its purpose. Let every meal remind us of the meal, the one that tells us that we are saved, we are bought, we are purchased. That's the present. That's how we ought to engage and, 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 and embrace this meal. And the third one is the, the, the future. I'm not going to say much about this because that's really next week's business. All I'll say here is I often get asked the question, maybe you do too, uh, what's heaven going to be like? And, and usually you hear stuff like singing. And I heard a child say to me a few weeks ago, I don't want to go to heaven because I hate singing. <laughs> that's, that's the sound of the mouth of infants and babes, right? They will be singing and you will like it. We all will like it. 
But again, let's just change our thinking a bit. You know how heaven is portrayed in the Bible? You know how your life, what marks the significance and the beauty and the fullness and the splendor of you being with God and in His presence is depicted in Scripture? Food. (laughs) There's going to be a feast. Write this. We read right at the end of the Bible. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is Jesus' ultimate feast, right? And he added, these are the true words of God. And a little bit later on you read it. I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God. Let me finish by saying these final words. If you're today not eating and drinking with Jesus, if you're, if you're in bondage, to whatever it is that's holding you down in life, and God is not part of your life, will you come today to his table? That lamb of God has died. He was crucified, his blood spilt, so that you can be free. It's for you. It's for every single person who would say, yes, this is what I need This is what I want. I may not understand it all that completely and fully, but I know that I'm in bondage and I know that he can set me free. Will you pray today? Lord Jesus, I want to be free. I want to eat with you. I want to feast with you. I want to be satisfied with you. Let that be your heart's prayer today. You can pray it on your own. You can can please come and do it with me afterwards, but do it. The invitation is there. And if you have and are eating with him, I simply remind you of what I shared before. Every time we eat as a church the meal of meals, or just every time you eat, let food do what it is supposed to do in you. Minister to you the salvation that God has given to you. The Lord's Supper, Tim Chester writes, serves its purposes not when it's written about in books, but when it's shared in the Christian community. That's why we're eating together. Finally, there's a discussion question I'm going to put on the board out there and in here afterwards, same as last week. If you anything stood out to you today in your conversations after the sermon, please just, just take note of it, bring it up and talk about what God has perhaps revealed or shared with you first time today. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are a God who want to satisfy us. You want to satisfy us physically with food, but also spiritually with your son and the knowledge of knowing him. Thank you that you're not a God who wants us to do a whole heap of stuff in order to earn your love, but that you freely give it. And that you want us to be filled by it. I pray for those who are empty today. Pray for those who are in bondage. Pray that they would reach out for freedom. That they'd be rescued from whatever it is that's holding them down. May they come to the meal of meals given by the giver of givers. Father, I pray for those here today who are in you, 
that may have a wrong relationship with food. I pray that our relationship with food will be a right, that it would remind us again and again that we are saved, that it would communicate to us, that it would cement in us who we are, whose we are. And I pray that you'd imprint it on the lives of our children as well. We ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, team.